Well, good morning. Good. If it's all right with you, I want to start today's sermon with a couple social experiments. Would that be okay? Very simple. I'm going to ask you to do something, but only one thing, and that would be if the question I ask applies to you, I just want you to raise your hand. And I promise I won't have you stand up. I won't have you do anything else. And I expect there'll be quite a few other people raising their hands too, but that's it. All right. Are you, are you, do you trust me? Okay. This is not, it's not going to be that hard. So, um, First, I want you to raise your hand and keep it up if you are trying to do something meaningful with your life and you can still be figuring it out or you can have a clear picture or a not so clear picture in mind of what it is, but you're working towards something in your life. Raise your hand. Keep it up. All right. Okay. All right. I think that it looks like just about everyone. Okay, great. No, keep it up. Keep it up. All right. So now... What you can do now, you can lower your hand, all right? Let me put this way. You can keep your hand up if what you're trying to do in your life is easy and it's going well and you're just sailing along, all right? You can keep it up. Okay, I see one hand raised, and it's a person I know is retired. So God bless you. <laughs> You worked a long time, and doggone it, you should be having an easy time at this point. She's still raising it. So, all right, good job. It's Judy, in case you didn't know, because she's going like this. People here can't see it. It's not a secret. Um, So Judy's awesome. You should meet her. She's often on our Connect team, and she'll give you a big hug, so watch out. Uh, Let's do another one. Well, Well, let me say, why did we do this? Well, I mentioned last week that I had breakfast with a friend recently. And it's not a surprise to me, A, that everyone raised their hand, or that B, that most of you put your hand down. Um, usually, if we're trying to do something worthwhile, it's not easy, right? Um, and if we expect it to be simple and not be a lot of hard work and to be smooth sailing all the time, we're probably fooling ourselves. That's just the way important things in life work. It's important, and it hasn't been done, or it hasn't been accomplished yet because it's not easy, and because someone needs to do it. So it's not a surprise that it would be difficult. Um, I remember I got breakfast with a friend uh, just a few weeks ago. I mentioned this last week. And we were talking about how easy it can be to get stuck when you're trying to do something in your life. And one of the things he did was lament a little bit about some friends he knew who he saw were basically kind of stuck. And he looked at me and he said, who's your team? And what he meant was, who are the people in your life that are supporting you? Who are the people that when you get stuck, help you get unstuck? That when you need an encouraging word, they, they're there. Um, or when you need a kick in the rehind, I don't think that's a word, behind, rear end, behind, rehind. If you need a kick in the tush to get going, they're there for you. They support you, right? You support them. And his question is, who's on your team to the people who are stuck? You know, where are the people who are, like, nudging you along, encouraging if you need it, pushing you if you need it? And let me ask you this, because we're in a series about team. Who is your team? Like, just in your head. Just think about it. Who are the people in your life that are around you, that are connected to you, that are supporting you, that are helping you get where you want to be? Helping you reach whatever that goal is, the thing you raised your hand for, they're there with you on that journey. They're on your team. They're helpful. They're not just around, they're helpful. All right, let's do another experiment. I want you to raise your hand if you or a friend of yours has moved in the last six months. 
You or a friend of yours has moved in the last six months. Raise your hand. Okay, that's quite a few people. All right, you can put your hands down. Because the next thing is kind of like, this is a little personal. My next question would be, how's that going for you? Seriously. If you've moved to a new place, how settled in are you? Are you seeing a team develop around you locally yet? Or is that sort of a hole for you? Or if you've had a friend who has moved, how's that going for you? That can be difficult, right? That can leave a hole. Have you seen other people begin to sort of fill in the space that's been left a little empty because someone who was on your team has moved to another city? Recent studies are showing that transients can be really hard on people. So, for example, they studied men in the United States and found that men who've moved in the last six months uh, tend to be twice as likely to be depressed. And for women, it's three times as likely to be depressed. And even populations that are regularly regarded as embracing or looking forward to or appreciating transients are beginning to change their tune. I read this article by a woman named Melissa Sconyers. It's called The Effects of Transients. And she wrote, she's in her 20s. So she's in that demographic, often referred to as millennials, who are supposedly like more into transients and okay with it and see the value. And she writes this, people are always complaining that my generation is too transient. They assume that the fact that we jump from job to job means that we're either incompetent or lazy or unstable. Actually, we are rather unstable, but we don't necessarily view that as a negative thing. However, several factors are causing us to reevaluate our previous, previous quote-unquote jump-around strategy. She points to three things. The first is relationships. She says, for most of us, job security is a thing of the past, so we have instead invested in relationship security. We thought it was easy to do because of our technology. In the past five years, I've lived in three countries and six cities. I have close friends in each place and stay in touch with all of them. However, now I'm getting tired of having surface-level relationships with so many people and would like to develop deeper relationships with those few people I really enjoy. Sound familiar? And so she starts keeping this tally. She puts uh, permanence versus transience. She says, permanence one, transience zero. The second area she said is finances. Almost my entire generation is in debt. We've graduated with enormous student loans only to discover that our degrees are either useless or they don't guarantee us a high salary. If you're in college in here, I know some students just got back from break. Sorry. Um, We have high ideals for finding a job. We want it to be interesting, stimulating, and a good use of our individual skills. Most of us have been willing to take a pay cut to be in a great work environment. While these ideals are still strong, we're now realizing that we need serious financial help. Again, transience is beginning to look less appealing. So she says, permanence two, transience zero. Third, she points to transitions. She says, no matter how old you are, moving stinks. I clean that up a little bit. The first couple of times, it's exciting because you're going somewhere new and horizons are being expanded. However, after a dozen airports and cram suitcases and trying to find a can opener that you're sure you packed somewhere, it starts to lose its appeal. My generation has underestimated the toll of constant transition. We're in a constant state of chaos, loss, and confusion. We start, we start to get it sorted out Again, only in time for the next move. So she says, permanence three, transience zero. So there it is, she writes. We're beginning to think that maybe permanence isn't so bad. 
If you're not a 20 to 30-something, though, keep in mind that we define permanence in three to five-year increments. So if we say, I want to settle down, what we mean is, I'm looking to stay in this job or location for another three years or so. (laughs) But my point is, even groups that are supposedly noted for being into or fine with transients are starting to say, "Eh, I don't know if this completely works. So today, if you're trying to do anything with your life that means something, that goes beyond sort of just making money or just getting by or whatever. If you're wanting to make a difference in the world around you, you find that sometimes it's difficult, this sermon is going to have a lot to say to you. And also, if you're a person that you've had your life touched by transience and you're trying to figure out how it works, how you can stay connected to people, how you can build team if you move or they move or things like that happen, This is going to be a really good sermon for you, too. The person we're looking at today is a guy named Paul, who's a big figure in the New Testament. He's a big figure because he was the person that pretty much jump-started or kick-started the first churches all over the Near East, Middle East, and parts of Europe. He was a church planter, a church starter, which meant he would move to a region or a city and live there three years. Get something started, build a team, and then move to a new place for three or five years. Get something started, build a team, and then move. At the same time, the part of his life we're looking at is his last journey. It's the journey home, if you will. He's leaving uh, Ephesus, which was in Turkey, and he's heading back to Jerusalem. He's heading south, and he knows not only is he going back home, but he knows it's his last trip. So the Holy Spirit has communicated to him, has shown him that it's not going to go well for him in Jerusalem. So this is a difficult task. It's a difficult journey. This would be a good place to get stalled out if he's not careful because where he's going, it's in the purposes of God. What he's going to be doing is going to lead him to Rome where he's actually going to be able to talk about Jesus to the capital city of the largest empire in the world. But it's not going to be a happy ending in the short term, okay? So if you're someone trying to figure out how to hang in there for the long haul, this thing you're trying to do, how to finish well, this is a story for you. If you're someone who's been touched by transience at all, even if you've just seen new people in your neighborhood and you're wondering, should I invest in these folks? How long are they going to be here? What difference could it make in my life? This is a story for you too. So let's read it. Now, this is taken from the book of Acts, which is the story of the first followers of Jesus. And it starts at the end of chapter 20 and into the first part of chapter 21. When he had said this, Paul, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced and kissed him. Paul's told um, his friends in Ephesus he's heading back to Jerusalem. And what grieved them most was that his statement about his statement was that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. After we torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day, we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. And after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ships were to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, but when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. 
And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. And after saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued, from our vo- on our vo- we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we were greeted by the brothers and stayed with them for a day. And leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. All right, now this might seem like a little bit of an odd passage to be looking at today. It doesn't seem particularly inspirational, I don't think, at first reading. It very much sounds like a travel log. Would you agree? We were here, and then we did this, and we, were, we passed this place, we went to the next place. And so I don't know if it's like the thing you expected to hear as the core piece of uh, Scripture for this morning, but actually I think in this, we can learn a lot about what it means to live in a transient culture and build good teams and be a part of good teams no matter where we go or for how long. The first thing I think we can learn from this passage is actually how important team is to Paul. So you notice everywhere he goes on his trip, he's accompanied by friends. The pronoun we is used. So the person writing this was on the trip with him. And so he's got this team that's traveling with him. If you read the whole story, you'll see that Paul is in a hurry. He feels compelled, it says, to get to Jerusalem. Yet he stops. He makes new friends. He stays in a place for a week, even though he's on this journey that seems to have this emphasis on getting there quickly. In verse 1, it says, after we torn our way, ourselves away from them. So there's this deep sense of connection that you see Paul having with people. He's always surrounding himself, even in his travels, with friends and trying to keep up with old friends. Now, I wonder how we should take this. Because honestly, you could read this and think something like, wow, this Paul guy's a pretty weak sauce. He's always like, you know, depending on other people, they're taking care of him. He seems a little maybe insecure and needy because he's always trying to connect with people. And if you read his letters, he's always saying things like, I miss you and, you know, thanks for sending this, but I'd really love to see your face, stuff like that. And the question would be, why is he so lonely? You might guess I have a little bit of a different take. And actually, I think that what we see here is something that we all need that's healthy. And that to want friendship and even to feel the loss of it is healthy. It shows us that we're actually human. It shows us that we're made in the image of God. Here's why. First story in the Bible. The story of creation. God's creating all things. He creates humanity. But first, he just, in the story, creates a dude, a guy. Adam, a man, right? There's no women. Now, Adam's got like practically, it seems like unlimited access to God himself. He's in this beautiful garden. They're having conversations. It seems like it's not even like a subjective, I think God might be saying this, but it seems like they're talking face to face. And in the middle of this, God says something interesting. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates a woman also, it says, in his image. And he puts them together. And then he says it's very good. Before he said, this is good, this is good, this is good, he creates men and women, and he says, this is very good. You see, God himself exists in an eternal team, in an eternal community. We don't have time to get into all of this, but basically the picture of God uh, in the New Testament, Old Testament scriptures is of a united 
God who's one but exists in three different people, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, living in community, loving each other, working together like a team. They create everything together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God creates humanity in his image as a community, men and women, two people, not one. Longing for community is not a sign of dysfunction. Instead, it reflects the character of God in us. This creation of men and women that was very good happens before anything negative happens. There's no sin in the world. The fall or the entrance of sin into the world, that's the part of the story that happens in the next chapter. The need for community existed before there was any need from brokenness. We long for community. We even feel lonely because we're not a computer or a tree. Loneliness can be twisted by sin, but the desire for team, the desire to be part of a community, is a reflection of God's nature in us. You're not a BB-8. Although that guy kind of looks like he wants some community too, so maybe that's not the best example. That's a Star Wars reference. I apologize. So this is important to keep in mind because living in a transient culture like Philadelphia, where people can tend to move, can cause us sometimes to deaden ourselves to this healthy impulse of wanting to connect to other people and to connect to new people. You know, maybe some of your best friends have moved in the last six months or the last year or two. And the thought of starting over relationally doesn't sound good at all. So we can kind of kill that part of ourselves. We can kind of push it down a little bit. Or maybe you're really into your career and it's going well, or maybe it's not going well, but you feel like you need to emphasize or focus more and more energy there. And to you right now, relationships or community or team is just sort of like gravy on top of the rest of your life. Something that would be nice if you had it, but you can do without. Or maybe you've had some friendships that have really let you down. So you responded to this impulse, and it didn't work out for you. Somebody let you down. They broke your heart. They broke their promise. They weren't there for you. So it can be easy now to be social but not vulnerable. Or maybe you're like me. And the first time you started seeing new people walking down your block, our, our block was all like um, families, residential. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing people walking down the block after we lived there for a few years with backpacks. And I think, Who's, who are those guys? They don't fit here. They're new. And it was just students beginning to move in on our block. I love you guys. It's good. So you ask yourself, how long are they going to be here? Is it worth investing? And I think that impulse to invest, that impulse that sometimes feels like loneliness is from God. It shows you that you're a God-created creature. In other words, there's a universally good need for team. It's not a mistake. It's not a weakness. It's part of who you are and reflects who God is. So three ways, I think, that we can see from this passage about how we can build team even in transient time or transient culture. And the first is to do this, to embrace the bond of the Spirit. What am I talking about? In verse 36, it says, When he had said this, they knelt with all of them and prayed. Verse 4 says, Through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go. Through the Spirit. Verse 5 says, All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us 
out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. There's power in faith to draw people together. What I'd like us to notice in these verses is the deep bond that exists between these communities that's spiritual in nature. They're connected by something greater than just being around each other. When Paul goes to Tyre, this isn't something that I would would know if I hadn't done a little reading. It's probably, and there's a good chance, it's his first time ever in that city. And scholars don't think that he started the church that exists in Tyre. So finding the believers there is literally, for him, like discovering them. Yet they're bonded. They'd never met before. But what they have in common is a shared connection to the Spirit of God, the bond of the Spirit. You know, throughout the years, a lot of people have written about friendship and the nature of friendship. And a common point that many people have made over the years is that what makes friendship different from other types of love is a common interest or purpose, which makes sense in the context of team as well. And it's been suggested that it's impossible to have a real friendship without a common point of connection. So Emerson's a famous author, and he said that in the realm of friendship, do you love me means do you see the same truth? Do we have something in common? Or at least Do you care about the same truth, even if you hold a different opinion? And the truth that you share with someone can be trivial, like loving a rock band or a sports team, or it can be great, like trying to fight the end of child sex trade, something meaningful like that. But there has to be some common interest. Does this make sense? C.S. Lewis pointed this out. He wrote a famous book called The Four Loves, and he said that If all you want is friends, you just want to have friends, absent of all common purpose, that you actually never have friends. He said this, that is why people who simply want friends can never make it. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. You know, there's, this is where faith in Jesus offers a spectacular common focus. The Holy Spirit. And deciding to follow Jesus doesn't mean that you stop being who you are. It doesn't mean... You know, there are all kinds of different people in this passage from different parts of the world. So if you're a hipster or a frat boy, if you like to ride bicycles, if you're a mom, if you love adventure, if you're a Phillies fan, if you're a Mets fan, if you love business, if you're a new timer or an old timer, you're still all of those things. It's just that now those things are secondary to the person to whom you kneel and pray. And this creates a bond between people that's deeper than just a common interest because it's a communion of purpose and spirit. And the result is real connection. And this is our hope for diverse teams and communities in our church 
where people come from different backgrounds, experiences, perspectives. The hope is that the bond of the Spirit, bond of the Spirit in Jesus is so much more meaningful and powerful that it can pull all of these different groups of people together so that the richness of all these differences creates something beautiful and powerful and helpful in Jesus. And this connection is part of what kept Paul going through perhaps the most difficult journey in his life. He was looking for people. On his journey, he was hoping to connect for people. He took a week out, met people he never met before, just to get to know them, just to encourage them and be encouraged by them, to help him along his way. The second thing I think we can notice here is he pursued, he, you know, he, Paul's never coming back to Tyre again. This is it. One time through just to stop on the way to somewhere else. Yet he pursues new friendships, new spiritual friendships with strangers. Now, so, so many times in life we can kind of get into a groove. You know, we get comfortable. And to be honest, we really only have so much room for really deep, connected relationships. But here's the thing. We may only have so much room you never know where they're going to come from. Think about the people who have been good friends to you over the years. Sometimes you can see it coming, but sometimes it's a total surprise. You would have never thought I'd meet that person at school or on the block or in the park or at work. Sometimes it happens when you least expect it. And when we close our hearts or decide that we have no more room We close the door to the opportunities that God may have for us. Paul doesn't do that. Tyre's just a blip, a stop on the way to where he's really going. But he went looking for Christians in Tyre. You never know what God is wanting to do in a relationship or with whom. But the key is to stay open and to share that part of you that isn't just what people see on the surface. To keep yourself from editing out who you really are. A bit ago, I got this email that I thought illustrated this really well, because I'm trying, I think what you need is not just new friendships, but new spiritual friendships. Because what we're looking at in this sermon is the power of spiritual bonds of unity. Um, I got this email a little bit ago. It's from someone in our church. I changed the names, but she wrote this. She said, I've been working with Cecilia for about a year. And over the course of the year, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. So she knows about my involvement in church activities. And we've talked about, talked, and we've talked in the past about some spiritual issues, but mostly we talked about the Phillies and our favorite TV shows, and our conversations always would take place at work. We've never gotten together outside of work just to hang out. But recently, we've been making a point to have more spiritual discussions, and I've been pretty surprised at her willingness to be completely open about that area of her life. And this past Thursday night, I got a phone call from Cecilia, which caught me off guard because, again, our relationship has always taken place in the office. But Cecilia was calling me because she'd gotten some news from her sister that was pretty sensitive information, and she didn't feel that she could talk to her other family members about it. But she felt she needed to share it with someone, so she chose me. And I felt honored that, of all the people in her life, Cecilia thought of me as a trustworthy friend to go to with some pretty intense information. And I mostly listened to Cecilia 
as she shared what was going on with her sister and how she was really feeling about all of it. And then I, I tried to reassure her that she's really a good big sister and encouraged her for being there. And after our conversation, I was really happy that I'd worked on con- um, cultivating a relationship with Cecilia and that I'd shared some of my thoughts about God with her. On Monday when I arrived at work, Cecilia couldn't wait to tell me about her weekend. She'd visited a church in her neighborhood that Sunday, and she loved it. Not only that, she'd brought her boyfriend, her boyfriend's parents, and her boyfriend's little sister, and they all really liked it. She told me about how they couldn't wait to go back. And the next day, Cecilia got a call from her mom informing her that she wasn't doing very well. She felt like nothing was going right in her life, and she just lost her health insurance. So Cecilia suggested to her mom that she try going to church. Simply going to the church in her neighborhood helped Cecilia feel like her life was getting better, so maybe it would work for her mom, too. Can't wait to see how the rest of the story develops and how our friendship continues to grow. Now, here's the thing. Like, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. I've had a lot of conversations with lots of people, and this is the area of your life that you shut down when you meet new people or when you're developing friendships, the whole spiritual side, because there's so much, there, so much out there about what it means to be a person of faith who follows Jesus that doesn't represent who you are, right? It just doesn't get who you are. And you're probably a little embarrassed, and you're probably a little shamed, and you don't want to be associated with that or those people, which probably, maybe that's going too far, it's a little judgmental, but that's not you. So you're embarrassed. I get that. I'm a pastor. People find out I'm a Christian right up front. And sometimes I don't want them to know what I do for a living. I get it. But here's the thing. We can't have real friendships with people if we hide who we are. If we decide not to be vulnerable. Because good friendships entail some level of vulnerability. That's how you build trust. And that's what leads to good relationships. So what am I telling you to do? I'm not telling you to go out there and like crusade, heaven forbid. I'm just telling you to go out there and be your real self. Because when we're open about who we are and we can have spiritual relationships with people from all different backgrounds, all of a sudden we can see God working in our lives in ways we never would have expected. We get calls in the middle of the night from someone who feels comfortable with you because you're both spiritual people. Or maybe they're not a spiritual person, but they need something more in this moment. So they call you. Things like this happen. But only if we're open with who we really are. And the result is that we see the power of God. God does stuff. You know, there's a reason that Paul goes looking for other followers of Jesus entire. He knows that the power of God can be present in those relationships. And he wants to share in that. He needs it because his life is hard. And he's on a very difficult journey, and he's probably going to die. He needs it. The last thing I would suggest is to choose investment now. Good friendships take more than just a common bond. They also take work, fun. But notice that Paul's friends are investing in him this whole journey, this whole travel log. So they're giving him their heart, their feelings. So it says in verse 37, they all wept as they embraced and kissed him. They give him things, practical things. Everywhere Paul goes, people take care of him. They feed him. They give him a place to stay. They share their faith. They're always praying together. You notice that? This little travelogue, they're on the beach praying. They're kneeling. 
They help him make decisions as part of a team. You notice it says, through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So the Spirit was saying to them the same things that he was saying to Paul. Now, Paul knew he had to. And so the decision was up to him. But he listened. He got input from other people. And they weren't always right. But they were with him in it. They're committed to him. In verse 7, I point this out. We is the pronoun we see. They're on the trip with him. In so many areas of our lives, investment, think about this, so many areas of our lives, investment is just sort of thrust upon us. If you're in a family, it's thrust upon you. Uh, If you're in a romantic relationship, there are expectations, yes? You know, at work, investment is thrust upon you. You're supposed to invest in your job. But in friendship, nothing can really be forced upon us. We have to choose And it takes work and sacrifice. And in a transient society, this can be harder because the potential for parting is greater. Paul had to tear himself away sometimes from people. But how could Paul have completed his mission without the friends who were supporting him along the way and the new friends he made? We're going to have times in our lives like Paul where we have a burden to carry or a loss to endure. And in those times, we'll need to have already invested in relationships. Too late. You know, Paul is continuing investing in new relationships, but he has a team with him. He needs a little bit more, but at least he has a team. If we wait for the crisis to develop these types of relationships, it's too late. God will still provide for you. Things happen, but... Now is the time to invest before it hits the fan. Right now we're in this little break in our small groups. You'll notice on the back of your bulletin there's a list of every single one when they meet. They're officially kicking back off the first week in February. Some of them are sort of meeting now too. That's totally cool. But officially they're kicking off back in February. These are our teams in our church, small groups, people who meet regularly together to get to know each other, to learn what they're trying to accomplish in their lives and support each other, and to do it in the context of the bond of the Spirit, inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives together so that we can be teams that have a connection that's greater than just even a common interest, but that is spiritual in nature. If you're not in one, man, this is the time. In fact, today, you can even look at that list and on the back of your Connect card, you can write down the group you'd like to visit, and they'll reach out to you, and they'll save a spot for you, although we never run out of spots. (laughs) This is, I mean, do it. This will help you. We need team. It's the first thing we looked at today, was that the need for team is not a weakness. It's how we're created, and it reflects who God is. God needs team. He exists in community. You're created in his image. You need it too, in the best possible sense. So if you're up to launch in February, check one out because the result is support. This journey for Paul is long and difficult. He needs some help. The thing you're trying to do, there, wasn't, there was one person who said it was easy for them right now. And I think everyone in the room raised their hand. You need something. Because it's not easy. And part of that is team. 
alone is not good. We need someone else's thoughts. We need their encouragement. We need it. Who is your team? And particularly if you don't have a team, start building it now. Let's pray.